0: From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President, Tony Perkins.
1: Welcome to this Thursday edition of Washington Watch. Thanks so much for uh, joining us. We're broadcasting once again from the studios of his channel in Southern California, California, and I want to thank his channel for hosting us this entire week. Coming up on today's program, the arrest of a would-be assassin outside the home of Justice Brett Kavanaugh has put a spotlight on Nancy Pelosi. She is refusing to advance a measure that would increase security for justices.
2: I was on the floor asking me for unanimous consent
3: to move the Supreme Court security bill that was passed by the Senate by 100 votes, and it was denied.
1: I was House Republican leader Kevin McCarthy earlier today. The growing threat to the justices and the lack of action by the Biden Justice Department and the Democratic-controlled Congress is raising questions about their motivation. It's hard to avoid concluding that perhaps some Democrats may
4: want this dangerous climate hanging over the justices' heads
1: as they finish up this term. Could it be that uh, these Democrats would do anything to protect abortion? Uh, That, by the way, was the Senate Republican leader, Mitch McConnell, on the Senate floor earlier today. We'll talk about it with the ranking member of the Senate Judiciary Committee, Senator Chuck Grassley. We'll also get an update on the negotiations in the Senate on the so-called bipartisan effort to address growing violence in America. I tell you, one concrete step to curtail the growing violence would be to focus on strengthening families. And the Republican Study Committee has put out a proposal, a part of it being a budget proposal that does just that. We'll talk with Oklahoma Congressman Kevin Hearn, who is the chair of the Republican Study Committee's Budget Committee. We'll talk with him in just a moment. And the president going on late-night TV to join Jimmy Kimmel, not to lower the political temperature of the country, but to raise it. It's clear that if, in fact, the decision comes down the way it does and these states impose the limitations they're talking about, it's going to cause a mini-revolution. They're going to vote a lot of these folks out of office. He was talking about the Supreme Court and the Dobbs case. If the, if the court were to hand down a ruling that would overturn Roe v. Wade, the president is saying it would create a mini-revolution. A mini-revolution? Uh, that's pretty strong rhetoric. I'm going to talk about that, and we'll take a look at Tuesday's election results that are not painting a pretty picture for the radical left and their agenda. FRC Actions' Brent Kylan will join me for that conversation. And finally, uh, this weekend, Baptists from around the country, Southern Baptists, that is, will be converging to where I am right now, Anaheim, California, for the annual meeting of the nation's largest Protestant denomination. Now, The big focus will be how they address the recent report on sexual abuse within the Southern Baptist Church The report was the product of an independent investigation by a firm called Guidepost Solutions. The report included recommendations for the SBC to adopt, which they will be voting on uh, this coming week. Now, I will tell you, I wasn't sure about uh, Guidepost recommendations to begin with because they didn't seem to follow biblical guidelines. Well, after this week and Guidepost celebrating Gay Pride Month, there are other people that are now questioning the validity of GuidePost and the recommendations. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later and what the SBC should do to address the issue of sexual abuse within the Southern Baptist Church. We're going to talk with Tom Gilson, former HR director for Campus Crusade and now senior editor of the stream. The website, tonyperkins.com, lots of resources there for you. If you miss anything, you can find it all later. And it's a great place to send your friends as well. And don't forget, The new Washington Stand, FRC's electronic news site. You've been asking for it. News and commentary from a biblical perspective. It's right there at WashingtonStand.com. Check it out. The word for today comes from Psalm 91. It's verses 1 and 2. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God. And him I will trust. You know, there is no better way to be prepared for the future than to take refuge in the one who holds the future. To find out more about the Bible reading plan, stand on the word. Go to frc.org slash Bible. Earlier today, the House of Representatives voted 224 to 202 to pass a gun control measure that nationalizes red flag laws. The passage of the Federal Extreme Risk Protection Order Came one day after the House voted 223 to 204 to pass a sweeping gun package that Democrats named the Protecting Our Kids Act. Now, this uh, rolled eight different bills into one. I will tell you, Republicans and Democrats could not be farther apart on a solution. Today,
3: Democrats in the House will pass the Protecting Our Kids Act. And we need the Senate to abolish the filibuster to do the same. That was New York Democrat
1: Mundair Jones yesterday on the House floor. You see, nothing will get in their way of their agenda. Absolutely nothing. Well, Republicans like Greg Stubbe understand the
3: real problem. Why isn't the majority talking about solutions to have role models in our children's lives? Because that doesn't accomplish a political objective for them.
1: With me now to talk about how things have been unfolding on Capitol Hill over the issue of gun violence is Congressman Kevin Hearn, He is a member of the House Committee on Ways and Means, and he serves as chair of the Republican Study Committee's Budget and Spending Task Force. He represents Oklahoma, their uh, first congressional district. Congressman Heard, welcome back to the program. Tony,
4: it's always great to be with you, my friend.
1: So yesterday's vote came just hours after a House Committee heard testimony from witnesses who were directly affected by the shooting in Uvalde, Texas, what do you think of how Democrats are using the latest shooting? Are, are they really pursuing solutions that will make children safe, or are they simply trying to advance a political agenda?
4: The unfortunate thing is, is they're using these tragic deaths uh, done by people that are certainly uh, of less mental capacity. I mean, no one can believe that these these, these shooters are are someone that are sane. And they're using these situations to advance what they've been trying to do for years, which is get rid of guns completely in the United States of America. That There's no question about it. When you talk to them privately and if they don't get their way, you heard what the congressman from New York just said. They want to throw out all of government to make this happen. This is their mission. And the sad part about this, this will not solve the problem. We've got to address the mental illness in this country. I've actually talked to the police officers around Oklahoma and across this country, just as my colleague uh, Tony Gonzalez has done down in Uvalde and other places. And they all will tell you that the issue they're dealing with every single day is the mental, Ill, uh, mental illness that they're seeing among the people they're, they're, they're capturing or, or, or getting them for breaking in places. We see it culminate in shooting from time to time, and they're tragic. There's nobody in America that thinks that these are not tragic. But the reality is, is that we in government that have the ability to pass legislation and to promote legislation that will actually get at the heart of this, need to work on the, on the main thing, which is to go after the mental illness in our country and not try to attack the object of the guns.
1: I agree with you, Congressman, in part, but I would push actually a little further because I think there's actually root causes to the mental illness in the instability that we see in these young men. A lot of times it is drugs. But it's also when we look at the study of uh, of the young men who have been committing these heinous acts, eighty uh, percent or more of them come from dysfunctional or broken homes, and and these are issues not necessarily the government can address, but the government can quit being a problem in crowding out families and crowding out the faith community that really has solid solutions.
4: Well, and, and you're exactly right. And you mentioned I'm um, the budget chairman was last year and again this year with the Republican Study Committee. The budget we put out last year was the most pro-life budget in the history of any budgets ever produced in, in Congress. This year is even more so, more pro-life, more pro-family with 23 pro-life bills. You know, I, I have always been a promoter of strong families. I, I think that's the core of our problem. You heard my colleagues talk about it yesterday and today about restoring the family union unit, uh, having examples in these young men and young women's lives to show them the right way. To help women who are single moms, make sure that they're they're getting their, you know, the proper help that they need to get help on, and raising children the way they should be raised in this country. And what you're seeing with with these events, with these outrageous uh, uh, cries, if you will, from the Democrats about you know how we're destroying America and all that, all they're doing is continuing to create these heinous crimes to to come forth. We know what Chuck Schumer did in front of the Supreme Court. Uh, some two years ago, talking about uh, Justice Kavanaugh and Justice Gorsuch. And here we see what happened yesterday here. We've got to stop this narrative and get to solving problems in America. That's what the American voters are looking for. And that's why the House this fall will turn back to the Republicans. And we're going to be in charge. And we need to make sure we, we take this country back to the right place it needs to be.
1: Well, let's talk a little bit about the, uh, the budget proposal, the budget and spending task force that you chair with the Republican Study Committee, because I, I think this is a very good exercise, because right now, as you said, the Democrats are in control, so this isn't going to see the light of day. But I do think it's very instructive, because I think this is putting it out to the American people what the priorities will be if the Republicans take control in the fall. So uh, highlight some of the elements of this proposal that will address the issues you talked about in terms of the the crowding out that's been taking place by the federal government when it comes to the family, when it comes to the faith community, and and in many ways marginalizing those important elements of uh, family formation and society as a whole. Well,
4: certainly in our budget, we, we look at Title 10, which is the funding from the federal government that goes to help uh, for health health clinics around the country that they will not be used for abortions around this country. Uh, you know, if you look at 73 million abortions since 1973, uh, since the Roe v. Wade decision, and if you assume that half of those were men, half women, uh, and each had a child, we're talking about we're missing in this country some 100 million people in our country, a third again as large as our population. People that could be producing, could be families that could you know, be you know, growing our economy, uh, people that would be productive, uh, that would care about the sanctity of life. Uh, and so in our bill, we talk about. The heartbeat bill that there are no abortions can be performed at heartbeat at conception at 15 weeks. We do everything we possibly can that build bills that have been created and submitted by members of Congress to protect life and protect family all the way up until birth and after birth and beyond. And then when you look at Yeah, when you look at this, this is really the impetus of if you don't protect life, then you really don't have a country. And that's what you're playing my colleague Dan Bishop's uh, uh, statements on the floor. And that's exactly what he was talking about. If we don't get back to the core, who we are and what we are as a nation, we will have no nation.
1: Right. And one of the elements of uh, the proposal is something that we've heard about for a long time. We addressed it somewhat in uh, during the Bush administration. But that is the marriage tax penalty, but because, again, government in its fiscal policy and is, is, is d- discouraging the very thing that we need. And so you address that as well in your budget proposal.
4: We do. Uh, I, I've been in Congress three and a half years. I sit on now the Ways and Means uh, Tax Policy uh, Writing Committee, so I'm, in, I'm, I'm doing that as well. And one of the things that Tax Cut and Jobs Act did with tax policy, it made it neutral. So it wasn't a penalty anymore. We've got to move beyond that to reward families to stay together, to work things out and take the tough decisions. Show your children and your family members that, you know, not everything is going to be great. And so that we can work together, keep the family units together, lower the divorce rates, stop the dependency on the federal government. I've I've seen that firsthand my entire life growing up. And, and the reality is, is we can do better. And then when you look at what's being taught in our schools, how our kids are being educated yeah. with critical race theory, taught that they're racist from birth. I mean, who does that? But a nation that's trying to destroy the future and become a socialist nation as the Democrats are putting forward. And we saw, a, absolutely great, right. we saw a great tell on that in Virginia and, and changing that direction. And we're going to continue to move forward in that as well.
1: Congressman Hearn, always great to see you. Appreciate your leadership on Capitol Hill. And uh, thank you for coming on Washington Watch today.
4: Thanks, Tony. Have a great evening.
1: All right. uh, Congressman Kevin Hearn of Oklahoma. Great guy. All right. Coming up, more on the debate over gun control. We're going to go to the Senate next. Don't go away.
2: More to come.
5: Join Family Research Council on an exciting two-year journey through the Bible. FRC's Stand on the Word Bible Reading Plan helps you to dive deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into the cultural issues of the day. God has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. By studying the Bible, we can see God's plan unfold throughout the past and be encouraged by how the truth of Scripture is still relevant in our current day and will be into the future. The Stand on the Word reading plan engagingly and thoughtfully takes you through the daily scripture to help you stay grounded in God's truth. You can start this reading plan with Family Research Council today. When you sign up, we'll text you every Sunday with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your family and friends. Visit frc.org Bible to begin this journey
6: through the Bible today. Although most Americans believe they have a biblical worldview, studies show that most of our friends and neighbors, including those who attend church, don't think about the day's moral and cultural issues through a biblical lens. That is why Family Research Council's Center for Biblical Worldview was created. The center serves to help Christians understand the importance of scripture, why it must be authoritative, and how it can equip believers to advance and defend the faith in the workplace, in schools, in their communities, and in the public square. The experts at FRC Center for Biblical Worldview provide resources to help prepare believers to give a scriptural answer to our culture's most pressing questions. Access these free resources at FRC.org worldview. See the center's latest blogs, op-eds and publications by signing up for the newsletter at FRC.org worldview email.
0: Want to be able to stay up to date on conservative news? Are you looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged? Then download Family Research Council's Stand Firm app. With all of our content available at your fingertips, you will conveniently be able to stay up to date throughout your busy day. The Stand Firm app will give you access to a variety of resources, such as our most recent radio programs, social media posts, and publications.
1: Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. Good to have you with us on this Thursday. Earlier today, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi told reporters that the House will consider early next week a Senate-passed bill to enhance security for Supreme Court justices and their families. The announcement was made after House Democrats again denied a request by House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy that the chamber approve by unanimous consent the legislation that the Senate passed a month ago. Uh, by unanimous consent. Now, of course, I would think they would want to hurry and pass this, given the fact that we've had the arrest of a uh, would-be assassin outside the home of Justice Kavanaugh, and the inflamed rhetoric that have come from Democratic leaders. Now, I, I, this, was, uh, this has been a year or so ago, uh, actually about two years ago, but it was during the confirmation after the confirmation process uh... brett kavanaugh and and here again is the leader of the united states senate chuck schumer listen to what he had to say
2: i want to tell you gore i want to tell you kavanaugh you have released the whirlwind and you will pay the price you won't know what hit you if you go forward with these awful decisions.
1: And that was, again, that was Chuck Schumer, who is the leader of the United States Senate. And so you have crazies that act on this rhetoric, this inflamed rhetoric, by leaders, the leader of the United States Senate. Joining me now to talk about this and more is Senator Chuck Grassley of Iowa. He is
2: the ranking member of the Senate Judiciary Committee. Senator, welcome back to the program always glad to be with you, Tony. Thank you for having me, and thank you for bringing up this very important issue. Well, I want to talk about this, Senator, because I think
1: it's extremely important that we have this, uh, and I'm going to talk about this in a moment, the president even going on, uh, Jimmy Kimmel last night, saying that this could lead to a mini-revolution if the court overturns Roe v. Wade. That's certainly not lowering the temperature. I would think they would be rushing to provide this extra security for the Supreme Court justices.
2: The president has a bully pulpit and he ought to be trying to bring some civility to a nation that has too much incivility. And you're absolutely right. I made this statement on a Twitter yesterday condemning Schumer. I spoke about it today in the Judiciary Committee. Uh, We're in a position where this sort of uh, slow, slow walking this bill through the U.S. House of Representatives, considering the fact that we passed it more than a month ago, in the United States Senate is ridiculous. That bill could have been on the president's desk this very day. There's just no excuse for it. Everybody ought to be outraged.
1: Right. It's usually the Senate that moves slow. That's where bills usually go and get uh, hung up, not the House. The House can move very uh, rapidly. I want to move on, Senator, to something I know you're concerned about, and that is you know, protecting our schools, protecting our our children, uh, because you've put forth initiatives to do that. I want to ask you first, though, these bipartisan discussions that are taking place in the Senate to address the growing threat of violence in our
2: country. How are those going? Well, I'm not a member of that group. I could be a member of it, but it started with a couple people that the two leaders put together to get it started. It may be growing a little bit, We've had very positive comments coming out of it uh, and uh, things that lead to uh, more uh, uh, more making sure that people that can handle guns uh, handle them. Uh, some of that would be maybe some uh, background checks. Some of it may be uh, dealing with school safety, uh, things of that nature. I've got a bill that I'm promoting along that line, and uh, and I think we need to do everything we can to make sure that this sort of violence uh, is just not permitted. uh, And it's outrageous that we would have this sort of violence. Uh, And again, that's kind of an extension of uh, what we've been talking about, uh, the attempt to assassinate uh, Kavanaugh, but it carries over the same principle, carries over to to the schools. Uh, This sort of violence cannot be tolerated.
1: Well, and let's talk about your bill for a moment, because your bill not only focuses on schools, it focuses on houses of worship, businesses, restaurants. I mean, it uh, it, it even focuses on the city streets. I mean, it is it, it truly about trying to address the issue of a violence.
2: Tell us about it. Well, I call it the ego bill because it's named after the ma- mascot of the Parkland, Florida, high school where it's uh, where uh, the, the, in 2018, where there was violence used and deaths caused. I talked to the parents at that time to draw up the bill, and I uh, had a parent in my uh, office within the last month uh, saying how can they help move that bill. It's kind of a non-controversial bill, uh, at least it 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 should be. There's one or two senators holding it up. I don't want to name those senators, but I don't think they have a good reason for doing it, and it ought to pass separate from the the discussions that are going on, but it could also be a part of that, and what it does is it builds on a program that the Secret Service has had for the last twenty uh, some years and it would uh, and they're very good at training people to recognize people that uh, can be a, a, a troublesome uh, and, and or danger uh, to society as a whole and it brings in it into the schools and the churches and other places, so we can uh, identify these people and intervene, so we don't have the problems that we have.
1: So it's it's more of a, a a a very isolated surgical approach to dealing with the problem, and not treating everyone like a criminal
2: and taking away their Second Amendment rights, which is being proposed by the Democrats. Yes, uh, I think that we're going to be fortunate enough, at least up till now, that if we get an agreement that uh, Democrats are not asking to – well, some Democrats are, but I hope the Democrats that are negotiating with the Republicans on this issue of a package for school safety and uh, gun responsibility – Uh, that they aren't talking about doing away with the whole class of of guns, because that would be violating the First Amendment, or I mean the Second Amendment, and do do you realize that just recently uh, in uh, California, uh, there was a court case that said that it was a violation of the Second Amendment when they said people under 21 years of age could buy a gun. They they, they seem to see
1: the Constitution as an obstacle rather than a guidepost. Senator, always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for coming on, Senator Grassley. Appreciate it. I'm
2: glad to be with you, Tony, anytime.
1: All right. Senator Chuck Grassley of Iowa, the ranking member of the Senate Judiciary Committee. Don't go away when we come back. The president on Jimmy Kimmel raising the political rhetoric and the temperature of the country. That's next.
6: Most of us have at least one friend or family member who is pro-choice or have engaged with someone who doesn't share our pro-life views. As Christians, we are called to defend the weak and to speak truth in love. When we advocate for the unborn, we must do so in a way that is both honest and loving. At Family Research Council, we recognize the inherent dignity of every human life, from conception until natural death. The value of human life is not conditional upon its usefulness to others or an arbitrary evaluation of a person's quality of life. Rather, the value of human life is unconditional because God, the author of life, has created all humans in his image. FRC's Center for Human Dignity exists to give a voice to the voiceless by helping others speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Access our free resources at frc.org. life so that you can address abortion, human trafficking, pornography and more.
7: Attention university students, do you feel called to promote faith, family and freedom in public policy and the culture? Are you hoping to grow in Christian leadership? Then join Family Research Council for an unforgettable internship. FRC's 12 to 15 week internship program is designed to educate university students who are passionate about public service and who believe that a biblical worldview is necessary for government to serve the people and for culture to thrive. As an intern, you work alongside FRC experts who will invest in your personal and professional development as you prepare to make a kingdom impact in the world this paid internship offers free housing in dc allowing you to experience community with other faithful conservatives in the nation's capital for more information and to apply visit frc.org slash internships that's frc.org slash internships
1: Last night, President Biden went on late-night TV. Now, he said his, uh, his message, the message of his administration, is not getting through to the American people via the legacy media. He didn't say legacy media, but he said through the media. So he's trying another way. Now, I kind of wonder, could it be that they don't want to hear what he has to say, given the horrible effect of his, his policies? Anyway, here is a clip of what uh, President Biden had to say last night. It's clear that if, in fact, the decision comes down the way it does and these states impose the limitations they're talking about, it's going to cause a mini-revolution. They're going to vote a lot of these folks out of office. Okay, that was the president last night talking about the Supreme Court decision in the Dobbs case. That's the abortion case. That's the opinion that was leaked overturning Roe v. Wade. That's the one that prompted this gunman to go... Uh, outside the house of Brett Kavanaugh to assassinate him. He was arrested. He's now in, in jail. I mean, the president's saying if, they, if the court goes forward with this and the states that already have trigger mechanisms in place to make their states pro-life, protecting the unborn, it's going to cause a mini-revolution. All right, Let me just dissect that for a moment. Number one, he is upping the political rhetoric and the temperature of the country. He should be calming it. In fact, that's what they criticize President Trump for. But then let's think about this for just a moment logically, okay? So if they're concerned that if the court overturns this, that it's going to go to state legislatures and state legislatures are going to outlaw abortion, that it's going to trigger a mini-revolution and those legislators would be voted out of office, then, then what's wrong with that? Isn't that actually what we want? We want this to be decided legislatively. In fact, what we've seen over the last 20 years, and this is the problem for them, we've seen the country become even more pro life. In fact, uh, about 40% of all pro life legislation has been passed, that's passed since Roe v. Wade in the last 50 years, has happened in the last 10 years, almost 40%. The nation has become more pro life. The reality is, they have had to have the court. They have to have the court. The political process doesn't work for them because the American people are not with their agenda of death. In fact, the landscape for Democrats, for, for and I don't even want to use the term Democrats, it's the left. The landscape for them, the, the, the forecast, does not look good based on what we've seen just out here in California This past Tuesday, in the numbers, join me now to talk about what California, the picture it's painting for Democrats going into the fall, is Brent Kylan, vice president of FRC Action. Uh, Brent, welcome back to Washington Watch.
3: Thank you, Tony. Good to be with you.
1: All right. I know there uh, there were seven states in total, but California, obviously, the biggest one and some big news coming out of California. But overall, what's the picture that we get from Tuesday's primary election in terms of enthusiasm? Are the Democratic voters enthusiastic or is it the Republican voters who are enthusiastic going into the fall?
3: Tony, great question, and uh, you're right. So we now have data from these seven states uh, that had primaries Tuesday. Uh, most of those ballots are now counted. But we also have a, a number of states that went uh, before them. So we now have de- data on, you know, 17, 20 states here. And uh, it's actually painting a pretty stark picture uh, when you compare GOP enthusiasm versus Democrat enthusiasm. So um, we have some some numbers that are comparing yeah. What was the turnout this year, 2022, this midterm versus uh, four years ago, 2018, which was the last midterm? And um, just breaking out the percentage when you put GOP and Democrats side by side. And, and uh, Tony, in almost all of these states, all except for one, in fact, um, there's a decided edge for a Republican in terms of enthusiasm. And let me just give you a few highlights from the data that we have so far. If If you look at uh, a state like Ohio, uh, which, you know, often has been called a a swing state back in uh, 2018, Republicans made made up 55 percent of the uh, of the uh, primary turnout. When you fast forward this year, 2022, that's up to 68 percent. So that's over two thirds side by side with Democrats. You look at West Virginia four years ago. Um, it was a Republican percentage of the turnout was 46. This year it was up to 65, almost a 20 point jump. And then Georgia huge swing state there, uh, four years ago, Republican percentage was 52%. This year it was 62. And Tony, I could go on and on, but if you, if you uh, do the math and just add all of these, uh, 17 states that we have good numbers for so far, uh, Republican turnout has been up 36 uh, percent combined. Democrat turnout has gone down 3 percent overall. So you just it's a it's a huge, huge edge so far in terms of uh, which bases fired up in these primaries. And, and that makes a huge difference in terms of who
1: has the enthusiasm, who has the momentum. And I think what is depressing Democratic voters are the policies of the Democratic Party as they've been hijacked by the radical left. And we're seeing it at the pump. We're seeing it on the grocery store aisle. We're seeing it everywhere. And it's, uh, it's going to be a drag for the Democrats going in uh, to the midterm election because all they focus on is their radical social policy. Uh, Brent, we're out of time, but uh, always great to see you. And, and uh, keep tracking those numbers because we're going to be talking a lot about them in the, uh, the weeks and months ahead. Sounds good, Tony. Appreciate it. All right folks, stick around because coming up the Southern Baptist, who will uh, they'll be gathering right here where I'm at in Anaheim, California. They'll start coming in this weekend for their annual convention. They're the largest Protestant denomination in the country. They're going to be taking on some uh, significant issues. And we're going to talk about it on the other side of the break. So don't go away. A lot more Washington Watch to come right after this.
7: Religious liberty is the freedom to hold religious beliefs of one's own choosing and to live in accordance with those beliefs. It is an inherent human right. Therefore, Family Research Council's Center for Religious Liberty strives to advance religious liberty for all people of all faiths. Advocates for strong religious liberty protections are often labeled bigots. But for those familiar with the history of religious liberty in the United States, until recently, it was embraced by a majority of Americans. In fact, religious liberty has historically had bipartisan support. Today, efforts to restrict this freedom have become increasingly common. Therefore, Christians need to articulate with greater clarity why we support religious liberty and why all people are served when religious liberty thrives. Access the Center for Religious Liberty's free resources to learn more at frc.org religious-liberty.
0: In today's culture, there are few examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need a model of leadership, strength, courage, and sacrificial love that they can look to. But where can they find it? Try our Stand Courageous Men's Ministry. We seek to help men develop a strong, biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous we invite you to join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who struggle with the same issues you do and will invest in unpacking our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can have the generational influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com.
5: At Family Research Council, we want to be able to keep you informed on our latest resources and events. Due to the growing threat of text censorship of conservatives and Christians, we've created a text subscription platform so that we can stay connected. So if we get canceled, you can continue to receive updates on faith, family, and freedom. How? Just text STAND to 67742 to sign up for our text alerts, and you will get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742 and you will get special alerts on the biggest stories of the day. You can stay informed with just a simple text. We want you to be able to stay connected with like-minded community and to always have access to our content. Stay connected and informed. Just text STAND to 67742.
1: Washington Watch, and I'm Tony Perkins. As I mentioned, we've been broadcasting this week from Anaheim, California, in the studios of uh, his channel. Well, next week, the Southern Baptist Convention, the largest Protestant denomination in the country, will hold its annual meeting right here in Anaheim. The big focus will be on how they address the recent report on sexual abuse within the church. The report was the production of an independent investigation by a firm called Guidepost Solutions the report included recommendations for the SBC to adopt which will be voted on uh, this coming week now I will tell you as I originally looked at it I wasn't sure about their recommendations to begin with because to me they didn't seem to follow biblical guidelines well after this week and guidepost celebration of gay pride month there are more people questioning the validity of guidepost and their recommendations here to uh, to discuss this is Tom Gilson, senior editor with The Stream. Uh, he is also the HR director, former HR director for Campus Crusade, and he's been tracking this. Tom, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thank you. It's good to be here again. Now, you've written a piece about this that's on The Stream, which I uh, I recommend people read. I've, I've read it, and it uh, confirms a lot of the things that I saw in, uh, in And considered problematic, but before we get into that, why do all Christians have a stake in what's going to happen here in Anaheim next week? Well, there's a couple of reasons. One of which is that the Southern Baptists is
8: they're the big they're the the huge denomination. They're the ones that, as Southern Baptists go, in a in a great sense of the the term, that so goes American evangelicalism. They represent us. They are the ones on whom our reputation rests. Not only that, though, but it's just whenever one brother is strong, when when a brother is or weak, the the rest are strong or weak. We need each other to be strong.
1: Now, before we get into the specifics, I, I want to state at the outset, uh, just as you do in your piece, which, by the way, folks, you can read it if you go to TonyPerkins.com. You can follow the links over to the stream. Um, I. As you lay out in your piece, you've had to deal with sexual abuse uh, in the church. I have as well, directly. I've had to investigate. I've had to confront it. Uh, And there's a biblical model to do that. And Mm -hmm. I think there are biblical solutions. And my first response to the recommendations was the fact that it it looked like it was coming from... I'm just going to say from the world perspective, it was just giving in to what certain people want, but it was untethered to biblical truth and principles.
8: Yeah, I would say so. There's a, a lack of due process, which is not just an American jurisprudence principle. It, it came from biblical sources. It has uh, it sets up a very strange organizational structure where authority does not align with responsibility and vice versa there's almost, as you said, it. To, it's almost like they're complying with the world's, the world's centering on sex. The, they're, yeah. they're asking for the Southern Baptist to set up a national authority to be tracking sex offenses and to be keeping a list of sex offenders. And, uh, you know, we could define those more carefully, but that's essentially what they're asking for. They're they 're focusing in on sex as if that were the one thing I have dealt with sex abuse in the church, but in that same church, we also had a case of embezzlement. If a pastor had been the one who'd done the embezzling, it would have been well maybe not quite but almost as as bad, almost as painful these things it, it's strange that they pick that out, but that's the way our culture is going it 's all about sex
1: but right and when you point that out in your you're right, and you point that out. I, I want to just quote from your piece, which calls the credibility of Guidepost Solutions uh, into question. Guidepost Solutions just recently tweeted its proud alliance with our LGBTQ plus community. That is, they tweeted their proud support for sexual sin. They're advising the SBC on how to deal with sexual sin while simultaneously celebrating sexual sin. It throws their entire credibility into question And that's being charitable, you write. It may explain, however, why they would want to put sex on center stage in the SBC. I could not have said it better myself. You are absolutely right.
8: Well, thank you. Of course, it is a big deal. Sex abuse is it is racking the church. It's too many churches are covering it up. We are dealing with it wrong. It shouldn't happen in the first place. People are being hurt by it. It does need attention. But it's uh, the way that they're approaching it, I think, is imbalanced, focused the wrong way,
1: places. I think it is a symptom of one, one element is a lack of church discipline. We are afraid to discipline people in our churches today. Too many pastors are afraid people will leave. They're afraid what people will say. And, and the media has stoked this sexually uh, saturated environment. And then they wonder when people do these things. And I am I, with you 100%. Mm-hmm. It's wrong. I've had to deal with the fallout of it. I understand. And we, are, we want justice for those who have been uh, victims of this but we want real solutions just like the debate that's happening in Washington right now over violence you know it's all focusing on an instrument and not the heart and i think we've in the church we have to be i think quite frankly i just think we have to not listen to the culture and to those uh, voices out there that are trying to tell us how to do our business and we need to go back to scripture i was talking right. to some in the sbc leadership I think that's part of how we got into this problem. They were listening to lawyers who were giving them legal advice based upon the current legal environment rather than letting Scripture guide us exclusively in the direction that we should go. That's
8: right. And it's clear in Scripture that. First of all, it's wrong. Secondly, the, the cover-up approach that so many people take with, so many churches are covering it up. They're, they're doing it, in many cases, quote, for the sake of the ministry, that we don't want to harm the ministry's reputation. But they're actually harming the ministry uh, through allowing sin to fester. They're not doing the perpetrator any good because that person actually needs the consequences that will lead them toward repentance and I can't even begin to tell you how much harm that does to the victim as well. It's, right. It needs
1: to be dealt with locally. But, but, but Tom, you also point out that it, it does need to be corrected, not covered up. But the second principle you lay out in your piece is that we seek correction and restoration. I think that right. is a com- that is a very critical component that, frankly, I think has been lost in this
8: whole discussion. There's so much retribution out there, so many recriminations. There's, I've got a very good friend who has come through one of these situations and, uh, where he was the, the guilty party and has been restored and is in very fruitful ministry. That's possible. And isn't
1: that what Paul not Paul writes in the same place. about? In, isn't that what Paul writes about though, in Corinthians? Isn't that the goal of the church discipline is to see people restored to fellowship?
8: That's right. It's the same in all of the church discipline uh, places. Matthew eighteen, fifteen, seventeen, it says, "Go to your sin, and if he listens, you have won your brother." In uh, Galatians six, it talks about if, if anyone's caught in a sin, restore such a one in a spirit of humility. It's about restoration, not uh, not
1: beating the person up. But I, I, that I doesn't mean this. you let it go. No, I, I, you can't let it go because it festers right. and it becomes a cancer, it and, and you will find from that you will have other problems because if you compromise in this area, you will compromise in other areas. You're absolutely Indeed. correct. It cannot be go unaddressed, and I think that is a part of the problem that we've had. But I want to go back to, to that first point about not covering it up because some have suggested that the executive committee was covering it up with a secret list Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the list that they had was not a secret list. It was a list that was put together by pu- from public sources of people who had been charged with or convicted of, of, uh, of crime. So uh, I think there's some trying to spin this to make the Southern Baptists look uh, like they were totally uh, trying to sweep this under the rug. In fact, they were grappling with how to deal with it.
8: Yeah, in other words, maybe some people were trying to play politics with us and make Christians look bad. That's uh that's kind of par for the course. We need to guard against that by being upfront, being transparent, being vulnerable, and being quick to deal with
1: things. And you address that as you get into the the guidepost recommendations, because most people don't realize the the, the, the Baptist, the Southern Baptist Church is is not like doesn't have this hierarchy like the Catholic Church or any of the other mainline denominations. There's not a central headquarters that tells everybody else what to do. All these churches are, uh, they're independent. They just share in missions work and a, a shared faith. So the, the recommendations for the guide, from Guidepost Solutions, not only are they tainted by their celebration of sexual sin, but they don't seem to fit the Baptist structure. That's
8: right. They're creating a national or they're proposing rather a national central body with considerable authority to by putting people on a list even to punish them. There's not they're lacking due process in how they get there because they only require that an accusation not be, quote, manifestly false or frivolous. That's not a very high standard of evidence. But this uh, this national body. Really, def, uh, uh, it violates the principle that where you have responsibility, you should have authority. And they're really asking for lawsuits, I, I would guess, because if you put a national body in charge of of solving a problem, you ought to give them authority to solve it. But the Southern Baptists aren't going to recreate their whole national structure to do that.
1: And, and again, as you point out, it only focuses on one aspect. It focuses right. on the the, the sexual. Doesn't f- doesn't focus on the financial, doesn't focus on the other issues. Mm-hmm. So what are some of the recommendations here? Because, there, look, there, there is a problem. There's a problem in our mm-hmm. society. There's a problem in the church. The church should be the first to deal with it, I believe. I believe we should model, we should lead the way in dealing with sexual sin and it, I, I think it hurts our witness. It hurts our ability to do the work that God has called us to do. So, what are some of the practical steps you think the Southern Baptist should take this week out here in uh, Anaheim, California?
8: Well, first of all, I would say they need to vote vote down this recommendation. I don't know how much of it can be split out. I don't know if it, if the vote is uh, you know accept or reject on in uh, mass, but they. Uh, the attention to the problem is fine, but the what I would do in the Southern Baptist Church is that I would set up some, uh, I would recommend a ministerial approach where they have ministerial support to local churches, giving them help when they run into one of these problems. When we ran into this in the Southern Baptist Church that I was a part of, we had help. Um, you're not supposed to be good at this, by the way. The, if, if a church is inexperienced in dealing with sexual sin among their pastors, that's a good thing not to have experience. So they, they should give ministerial support, but it should be biblically based. And it it should not have the authority uh, that, that's attached to this proposal.
1: You know, I I, I think part of it, um, this should be something that's taught in seminaries. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I think that, I, I do think given the culture and given where we are, that we need to focus on number one, prevention. We need to be talking about good policies. You know, and I, and I think about this when, how the media mocked uh, former Vice President Mike Pence because of uh, the policy he has, which many of us have. We're not going to go and have uh, a meal with a female alone. We're not going to travel together. We have that policy at Family Research Council. We don't do that. Uh, you know, but the, the culture mocks it. But that's a part of our steps of preventing this type of thing. So there's some very practical steps I think you take, number one, to prevent it, but then to prepare to know, as, to, to be able to, to identify it, and then to address it from a biblical standpoint, not from the culture standpoint and the, their, quote-unquote, standard of ever-changing justice, but the unchanging truth of God's word. That's right.
8: And it would certainly help if they had teaching uh, throughout the, the denomination, seminaries and conferences. However, they, they, they get the word out to their churches. There needs to be teaching on how to handle these kinds of things from the very beginning. And, um, you know, especially with an emphasis on how bad it is to cover up. But also yes. what you do when you're in that hard, hard Hard uh, crisis of conscience over what do I do with this person whom I have respected and loved, but now I have to confront. There needs to be help with that. There needs to be some prior guidance, that kind of thing, and then someone to come alongside when the church needs that assistance. Those are right. the kinds of things that will practically be helpful.
1: I I right. would say from my experience, and the counselors that are needed to help those victims that uh, are involved in this as well. I think exactly. you've got two people. You've got to deal with those who committed it and those who were the victim of it. Both need to be restored spiritually yes. and and emotionally uh, because they carry tremendous scars and weight uh, from that. Tom, great piece. I, I'm going to encourage all the messengers going out, uh, or uh, coming out here rather, uh, to mm-hmm. read that uh, before they show up here. Thanks so much for joining us today. Always great to see you, and thanks for the work you guys do at the stream. And thank you. And, and folks, look, um, this is a problem in our culture, and and it is something we have to deal with, and I think the church should lead the way, but I think it should do the right thing, and I shouldn't be taking information from an organization that is promoting and celebrating sexual perversion, and that's what Guidepost is doing. The Baptists would be good to reject these recommendations and come up with biblically based and biblically sound recommendations. All right, folks, thanks so much for joining us. Always great to have you with us. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing.